If Jesus is who he says he is, it means what he says about you and I is true as well. If Jesus is God in the flesh, if he has defeated the final enemy that is death, if he has raised, he says that he guarantees our resurrection as well and that he loves us and that he's going to prepare a place for us. We can trust that he loves us. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 16. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 1524. Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's pray. Holy God of infinite mercy, this morning we come into your presence, Lord. You are here in a very real way. And so, Lord, as we turn our attention to the study of your word, this infallible, inerrant, inspired word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate it to our hearts. Lord, over and over, you say, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. This morning, Lord, we desire to hear, to be changed and transformed by the renewing of your spirit. Watch over us now, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Last week, Richard started a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. Now, if you are new here, you're visiting with us, maybe you're from a church denomination that does not focus on creeds, the Apostles' Creed is 12 declarative statements. It's 110 words. And it summarizes in a very succinct fashion the essential tenets of what is considered Orthodox Christianity. It is not exhaustive in its scope by any means. There's plenty more out there. But this is what C.S. Lewis might call mere Christianity or the bare minimum that you would have to believe in order to be considered a true Christian. The Apostles' Creed came to us in around the year 390 or so. And ever since that time, so for a little over 1,600 years, churches across the entire world, across every language, across every denominational line have recited this creed. This is what we as Christians believe. And a little later on in today's service, we're going to have a chance to stand and recite this. And I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. 
I don't know about you, but I find that neat that we all get to stand and recite these ancient words that unite us across all denominational lines, across all racial barriers, across all socioeconomic statuses, that this is what we hold in common with other believers. And we Presbyterians, we're creed people. We love our creeds, right? I mean, there is just something about kicking back on a Friday night, reading a little bit of the Westminster Larger Catechism. It just gets us going. In fact, if you want to have a great conversation afterwards, ask Richard about the Scots Confession. Clear the rest of your afternoon. We love our creeds and confessions. And it's not because there's anything inherently special or mystical about the creeds. It's that they derive their content right from the Word of God. That when we recite these creeds, this isn't some men got together and spun off some ideas. This is the very words of God being brought to our attention through these creeds. And so we, when we recite them, we are reminded of just how good and gracious the God that we serve is. How good and gracious he is and the great lengths that he went through in order to save you and I. And so this morning we're focusing on the second line of the Apostles' Creed. It, it reads like this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Let's look back at Matthew 16. Verse 13 says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, all the way back in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus began his preaching ministry in the region of Galilee. And when Jesus began his preaching ministry, it was not long before his popularity and fame blew up. I mean, it just absolutely exploded. Jesus went viral in a matter of days. Because this carpenter's son, this unlearned man, began preaching and teaching with authority. And in fact, people commented on this often, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? He shouldn't be able to do this. This is impressive, and, and we know that good preachers can draw a crowd, right? So Jesus was drawing massive, massive, massive crowds from a very early day. And soon after that, he was known for miracles. And so already in the book of Matthew, he's healed a man with leprosy. He has healed the blind. He has healed the mutes. He has even, as Shelton preached last week, brought a little dead girl back to life. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had the opportunity to go witness that, I, I want to be in that crowd. I, I will pay the extra fee on Ticketmaster.com, print my tickets out at home, and make my way over there because I want in on that action. Jesus amassed huge massive crowds. People flocked to see him. In fact, in Scripture, we're told entire towns would come out to hear him speak and have miracles performed and have their sick healed. People pressed in on Jesus. Luke chapter 15 tells us this interesting detail, that even the sinners and tax collectors pressed in to hear him. When the word of God goes out, it's not just the church people that come for it. That when the true word of God is spoken and preached in the power of the Spirit, even tax collectors and sinners press in to hear it. And so crowds gathered around Jesus. They flocked to hear him. They just wanted to be in his presence. 
And so Jesus is walking with his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. This is in northeastern Palestine. And all of this is in Jesus' mind. All of these crowds and everything going on is in Jesus' mind. And as you walk into Caesarea Philippi, uh, it used to be Panius before it was, the name was changed. And there's temples to Pan, there's temples to Baal, there's temples to all these foreign deities there. And so Jesus turns and he asks this question to his disciples. Who do the people say the Son of Man is? Luke chapter 9 tells us he did this in private, but this is the question. Who do the people say the Son of Man is? If you went out into the crowds and passed out a brief survey, what would be the overwhelming response? This is the response. 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You see, Jesus had incredible crowds following him. He had fans who applauded him. He had people who did not want him to succeed and even yelled for his persecution. But everyone, everyone had an opinion about Jesus Christ. Everyone had a belief. Everyone had something to say about Jesus Christ. And and the people who followed him, it ran the entire spectrum. There was an entire slew of varying beliefs about Jesus Christ. Some say he's Elijah. Some say he's Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. Now, there's biblical precedence for that belief. That's not so far off the radar. The one that really weirds me out is John the Baptist. Because back in Matthew chapter 14, Herod the Tetrarch, who historically is uh, paranoid, borderline schizophrenic, he starts believing that Jesus Christ is John the Baptist reincarnate to haunt him. Can you imagine this conspiracy theory type conversation that goes on? Herod gets his tinfoil hat out and he starts spouting off these ideas. Hey, hey, you ever seen Jesus and John at the same place at the same time? Yeah, as a a matter of fact, we, we have. John literally baptized Jesus. They lived very close to each other. They were related. Of course, we've seen them together, Herod. But no matter how odd, no matter what the opinion was, everyone has an opinion of Jesus Christ. And that is true to this very day. Do you know Jesus Christ has had more books written about him than anyone else in human history? That's not that big of a shocker. Jesus Christ has been on more magazine covers than anyone else in history. Oprah is catching up, but Jesus is still number one. More religions, philosophies, systems of government, and belief have spun out of the life and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth than anyone else. Jesus literally splits human history in two. B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, Ascension years, splits history in two. Everyone does something with Jesus. Even world religions have to do something with him. In Judaism, they discount him, in Orthodox Judaism, they discount him as a false Messiah, one who claimed to be something that he wasn't and led people astray. In Islam, Jesus is featured in the Quran under the name Isa. Jesus is said to be a prophet who was never crucified. He was taken up to heaven before his death. 
In Hinduism, Jesus is seen as the incarnation of the god Vishnu. In Buddhism, Jesus is seen as, in some parts of Buddhism, he is seen as an enlightened individual working for social good. And if you just walked down on Main Street and began to ask people, you would hear a whole spectrum of answers. He's a good person. He's a sound moral teacher. He's crazy. He's a lunatic leading people astray. But everyone, everyone has a belief about Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Not every belief about Jesus Christ is sufficient. You see, Jesus asks, who do the crowds say I am? And this is the response back he gets. Primarily a prophet. Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist reincarnate or one of the prophets of old, as Luke chapter 9 says. And these are the people that have walked with Jesus for at least three years. These are the people who have seen the miracles. These are people who have witnessed the example of his life and they just didn't get it. They missed it. There are people in pews all across the world right now who just don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. They missed it. And they'll hear about him Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and they'll miss it. See, not every belief about Jesus is accurate. Several years ago, my my father-in-law and I got into a disagreement. I'll call it a robust dialogue. He's a, that's, that's the church word for argument. Uh, very intelligent man. He's an older gentleman. Uh, his name's Jerry. And Jerry's absolutely brilliant, and he knows it. And um, he was watching the Barrett-Jackson car auctions. Any, any car people in the room? You can raise your hand. This is a safe place. All right, a couple of you. Uh, Barrett-Jackson car auctions, very high-end auto auction. Cars range from anywhere from $100,000 all the way to several million. Recently, a car sold for $12 million at one. Um, so in 1953, Chevrolet Corvette rolls across the auction block. First year of the Chevy Corvette. And Jerry turns to me, we're watching this together, and he says, do you know in 1953, uh, this car was Daytona Blue, by the way, dark, dark blue. He says, do you know in 1953, Daytona Blue was one of the five original colors offered by Chevrolet. Now immediately, if you're a Corvette guy, that raises red flags. I'm a Corvette guy. I obsess over Corvettes. And me, in my younger, dumber days, decided I was going to correct my father-in-law. Young men in the room, if you're engaged and you hope to be married one day, let me give you a piece of advice. Look right at me if you don't catch anything else. Never, never, never correct your father-in-law. I don't care, I don't care how wrong he is. Just let it go. Just tell your fiance later. You guys can keep that your little secret. And I said to him, Jerry, that's interesting that you would say that because the only color offered by Chevrolet in 1953 was polo white with a black convertible top and red leather interior. You would have thought I just slapped him. <laughs> he got angry, like really legitimately angry. I was like, calm down, it's okay. You can be wrong. That was not good to say either. <laughs> And really, as much as I should have let it slide, in light of fact, in light of truth, he was wrong. 
He had a belief, and it was incorrect. And you see, the crowds had a belief about Jesus Christ, and it was not sufficient. Let's read the next line. Verse 15. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Jesus asks a follow-up question, and this question goes from external. It goes from the popular consensus, from the memorized, wrote, Sunday school answer to, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Jesus backs the disciples into a corner because now they have to deal with the fundamental question of Jesus Christ. And in this room this morning, we have to deal with the fundamental question of who do you say he is? Because your eternity hinges upon your answer. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Do you, do you have the same opinions that the crowds do? That he's a prophet? That he's a good moral teacher? That maybe he's a lunatic? Some people even called him demon-possessed in the Gospels. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Because this isn't between the crowds and Christ. It's between you and Christ. Who do you say he is this morning? Peter responds. Of course, Peter responds. He's always the first to respond. 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter's confession, you are the Messiah or Christ. When, when uh, Messiah is translated into Greek, it's Christos or Christ, the son of the living God. You are who you say you are who the scriptures attest to. The creed does not leave us with, I believe in Jesus Christ, fill in the blank with anything you want to. It says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Peter's confession lines right up with this. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. First Presbyterian Church, people of God, this is who we believe Jesus is, that he is who he says he is. And, and listen, anything less than this view is incompatible with the witness of Scripture. And, and just take the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's not get into Peter's writings or Paul's writings or the later work of John. Just take the Gospels. You cannot, with any bit of scholastic integrity, read through them and tell me Jesus never claimed to be God. Over and over and over, Jesus just keeps calling himself God. Eight times in the Gospel of John alone, Jesus says, I am, I am, I am, I am. Do you wonder why in John 18, when the crowds come to arrest Jesus at Gethsemane, they ask him if he's Jesus Christ, and he says, I am, and they fall back? Why? Because he uses the covenant name of God. He calls himself God. And later in the trial, he calls himself the exact same thing. I am. There is no way we can get away from Jesus attesting to the fact that he is God. Peter's confession, you are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. Who do you say Jesus is? This question is incredibly personal. 
I just wrapped up teaching confirmation class. If, if you're not familiar with what that is, for our 6th and 7th graders, uh, we make them go through a series of 12-week course teaching them the theology of the church, what we believe. And about the sixth week or so, we send home two forms, and one of them is a brief survey of their beliefs. It's three questions long. It's very laborious, very, very tough. First question, who is Jesus Christ to you? We get it right from here. I ask permission to tell this story. Student comes the next week, hands it in. I'm looking, and you know, I, I didn't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm looking, and I see something odd, because you could tell where the student wrote their answer out, and then somebody, I don't know who it was, could have been a parent, could have been a friend, um, maybe it was Sean or Kate before I saw it, I don't know. They scribbled out the answer, and they wrote the correct answer. I found it pretty comical. But here's the thing. Jesus is not asking who your mother says he is. He is not concerned this morning with who your dad says he is or who your kid says he is or who your great uncle who was a pastor says he is or who your grandmother who was a charter member of First Press says he is. He wants to know who you say he is. Do you really believe that Jesus is God in the flesh? Because Peter confesses you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, the one who ever since the proclamation of Genesis chapter 3 that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, the one who all of the Old Testament points to, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the second Adam, who ushers in a better covenant, God of very God from eternity past with no beginning, no end, the second person of the Trinity, eternally begotten by the Father, 100% God, and at the hypostatic union, being conceived by the Virgin, being conceived by the Holy Ghost, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, joined a human nature, 100% man, 100% God, lived a perfect life, died and rose from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. This is the Christ that we serve. He ascended and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Praise Christ. All right, three of you, thank you. Praise Christ, right? This is the Jesus that we serve. And here's the thing, First Pres. If Jesus is who he says he is, it means what he says about you and I is true as well. If Jesus is God in the flesh, if he has defeated the final enemy that is death, if he has raised, he says that he guarantees our resurrection as well and that he loves us, and that he's going to prepare a place for us. We can trust that he loves us. You see, if I'm just talking about me for a second, I know you don't feel like this. I have no trouble believing that Jesus is God. What I, believe, what I have trouble believing is that he loves me. Sometimes I find it really hard to believe that he loves me because he knows my sin. But if who he says he is is true, he loves you and I just the way we are. And he calls us by name out of death and into life and life abundantly. Who do you say he is? Let's keep reading. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, 
For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You didn't concoct this. You didn't hear it in a, or read it in a commentary. God revealed this very thing to you. 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosened in heaven. Jesus commends Peter for his proclamation. It's, it's right. This is correct. Anything shy of this is not orthodox Christianity. Anything less than this proclamation is not Christian. And he says, on this rock I will build my church. What, what rock? What rock will the church of Christ be built on? And historically, um, other denominations and other parts of Christianity have interpreted this rock to be Peter, that this rock will be Peter. The Reformed tradition interprets that a little bit differently. We believe it was not Peter, but on the confession of Peter, that the church will be built on the proclamation that Jesus is God in the flesh, our great high priest, as the book of Hebrews says, that the bedrock, the foundation of what is going on right now across the world of the church triumphant is that Jesus is God. And so when the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, this is the foundation of the church. And believers, this is where we take our stand this morning. If you want victory in life and victory over death, it is only through the proclamation that Jesus is his only son, our Lord. This is what we believe. And so this morning, I want to ask you two questions. One, who do you say he is? Do you actually think that Jesus is God in the flesh? Do you actually think that he lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, overcame death, and then ascended into heaven and sit at the right hand of God the Father? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he is who he says he is in the scripture? Do you believe that? Or do you believe that he's just some lunatic or, or maybe some historic figure who has very little bearing and relevance on your life? Do you believe he's Lord? And secondly, I'm going to ask the same question. Do you really believe it? Because there is a difference in knowing and believing. We all know plenty of information that does not affect the way we live our lives. We know all sorts of stuff. And like Shelton and Richard say all the time, we Presbyterians, we can teach you just loads of information. But do you believe it? Does it arrest your heart? Does it change the way you live? Do you submit your life before the cross of Christ? Do you believe this? If we went out for coffee and we took the mask off and we were just talking and you dropped the Sunday school answers and we were just one-on-one, -on -one, what would you say about Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have sent your only begotten son to die the death that we deserve 
so that we receive the benefits that he deserves. And Lord, we thank you for our union with Christ. And we profess, as the Apostles' Creed does, that we believe in you, Lord. Father, thank you for your word to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you're interested in membership at First Presbyterian or want to learn more about our church and denomination, join us for our next First Look class on Sunday mornings. Register by calling 235-0496 or email us at contactus at firstpressgreenville.org. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Press by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online.